Hi, welcome to valuationpodcast.com, a podcast and video series about all things related to business and valuation. My name is Melissa Gregg, and I'm a company valuation expert in St. Louis, Missouri. I have the privilege today of discussing strategic planning and how to sell a business today with Jennifer Smith, a business broker in Cape Girardeau, Missouri with Murphy Business. So let's get into it because I know a lot of business owners have questions of what creates a higher value in the business sale process when they're thinking about exiting or selling their business. Yeah, you know, that's a really great question because who doesn't want a higher value when they go to sell, right? Um, so, you know, there's a couple of things that you really need to, to hone in on, um, especially if a business has an owner operator involved and it's not a business that uh, is investor led with a management team uh, in place. So um, assuming that you're a, an owner operator type of a business where you're still engaged, you really want to make sure that the business is not too dependent upon you as the owner. If you're the linchpin, a buyer's gonna have a really hard time seeing themselves in your shoes and uh, finding a way to replace you and all of your uh, industry expertise and institutional knowledge. Another thing that's really helpful is recurring revenue. Buyers like really stable uh, revenue, they like stable earnings, they like predictability. So if you have recurring revenue in place, that's going to make it more sellable than a business that has a lot of fluctuation in revenue and earnings. Assignable client contracts are really helpful. Notice I said assignable. Uh, if a contract is dependent upon your specific company and it cannot be assigned to a buyer, we're probably looking at more toward a stock sale that's definitely not going to be helpful and it's going to put a little bit of pressure on your purchase price. So you want to make sure that those contracts are all assignable so that in a sale, you can assign those to the buyer. You want to make sure your industry has a good outlook. Sometimes you can't control that, but sometimes you can position a company several years in advance to make sure that you're taking advantage of some of the cutting edge things in your industry and that you're not uh, behind the curve or outdated. And then finally, um, something that I want to make sure and talk about is uh, there are two types of businesses that I typically deal with. One called Main Street businesses. Those are under, say, call it three to five million. And then middle market companies that are, call it five million to, to 50 or 100 million dollars. Much, much bigger. In um, revenue, right? In, in revenue. In a Main Street type business, you want to make sure that your earnings are sufficient to service the debt for the buyer and put food on the table because that's typically going to be an owner operator type of a business. If it can't do those two things, it's probably not going to sell. Your earnings just aren't high enough. If it's a middle market type of a company or a lower middle market type of a company, you just want to make sure you have a sufficient ROI to attract the buyer base that you're looking for because you're probably looking at private equity family offices, things like that. And they really are looking at that return on investment. Um, and if it's just not there, it's really not going to sell for what you're looking for. So those are just a couple things, Melissa, that might be helpful in terms of what makes a business more sellable or ways to get more value. Well, and return on investment or ROI that you kind of are discussing is a very interesting concept because like what I've heard other people talk about, and you can correct me, is that if I'm going to go buy a business, can I make my money back on it in the next five years or three years? And that mm -hmm. threshold 
is what I'm looking at as, as cash flow coming in, what's the risk of the cash flow, and then how quickly am I going to basically make the money that I gave you on day one back over the future? Is that is that kind of, or can you give us your perspective of kind of what return on investment is? Yeah, so you're, you're looking at ROI exactly right. Um, and ROI, return on investment, is even important in the, the Main Street environment. It's just not the primary driver. Because if a, if a business owner is, um, is producing earnings that are low enough that a buyer is looking at it and saying, you know what, I'm going to have to pump a lot of additional capital into this because the purchase price is so high that it can't service its own debt. A buyer's not going to be interested in that. They're going to move on and find something else that can service its own debt where they're not going to have to pump in a bunch of additional personal capital to get it where it needs to be and something that can pay them reasonably well um, for running the business and, and doing what they do. So um, that return on investment concept, it's more important in the middle market and lower middle market, those bigger businesses, but it certainly is important in the mom and pop mainstream environment as well. Um, it's just not quite the primary driver in the way you think it's a little more practical than that. Well, and I think conceptually where that comes in is that typically when you go to sell your company, you're like, well, in order for me to retire, I need $5 million. And so I'd like to sell my company for $5 million. The pro and the, and you'll have people that said, great, let's go to market and we'll do that. But if a buyer looks at it and says, this isn't worth $5 million because of the cash flow and the risk, mm -hmm. then you're really just kind of going down a path that's not going to be successful. And that's, that's probably why you can't just as a seller create the number that you want to sell at, because you might not have a buyer that is willing to pay that. So talk well, a little bit about maybe how you guys price some of those companies. Yeah, you're exactly right, Melissa. A buyer doesn't care what you need to retire. Your debt is your problem, right? The buyer doesn't care what kind of debt you have or what kind of price you need to get out of the debt. They care about how much cash flow the business is generating. And they're willing to pay a multiple of that cash flow, right? They're willing to pay a reasonable price for that. But, you know, they really don't, I mean, it sounds kind of cold, but they just don't care about your personal situation, right? The business is worth what the business is worth, and they're not going to pay you more just because you want it or need it or or you need to be able to pay off the bank. So, um, you know, you're you're absolutely right in your thinking on that. Um, and, well, and sometimes this is why, you know, it, it's interesting because in this space, everybody says you need to plan to sell your business like three to five years before you really want to sell. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think that's just kind of marketing fluff. But the reality is what we want you to do is look at what an outside person, you, you do valuations and so do I, what would an outside person say this company is worth? And let's say it's $3 million. Well, you got two more years to increase your revenue, your profit, you know, clean up your books, make it more efficient, market, do whatever so that you can get to that $5 million number but you can't just make it appear from nothing. And so that's one of the reasons why people say to, to get those valuations done sooner, mostly so you have some knowledge about what you could really sell for. Is that 
you know, there's a lot of reasons to plan ahead, but that's one of the main ones, right? That's exactly right. Um, we actually um, have just created a, a relatively new uh, service called value coaching surrounding that very concept, which is, you know, hey, AKV, always know your value. <laughs> Um, where we plan three to five years in advance, we do annual valuations, we do quarterly coaching to try and get that value up where it needs to be. We do monthly uh, videos about things that we're seeing in, in uh, everyday life with business owners to help them and coach them and guide them toward that magic number, whatever they want in that three to five years. Because too often, they kind of come in blind, they come in blind and come in hot. And they're just not sure what the value is. And they're too often, they're really disappointed and sometimes devastated to find out that it just isn't what they thought it was. And you're right. It sounds like a lot of marketing hype to say, hey, three to five years. And it sounds like we're just, you know, trying to pump up valuations, but that's not the case at all. It's a matter of building awareness, building knowledge and, and having some time to build a strategy, to build value, and time to implement that. It's it when you go to sell your house, it's sort of similar to selling or go to sell your business. It's similar to selling your house. Like you want to clean it up. You want to, oh, I didn't realize that something was broken or something needs to be fixed. And you want to have that time to fix some of those things. Oh, maybe I don't have employee contracts. Maybe I don't have you know, non-compete agreements, and that would be wanted by a potential buyer. So it's really to do some of that process. But I guess what that leads us to is really trying to help a business owner understand what is the first step to sell your business. And then what are some of those initial things, not only, you know, prepping a couple years ahead of time, but what else should they know about that first step to sell your business? Yeah. So it, you know, it all starts with that valuation and setting those expectations. Um, I would say easily 70 or 80% of the time, the conversation is, oh, that's all I can get for my business. Right. Um, we recently had a really, really difficult conversation with a client um, with a very, very nice retail operation, um, several million in sales, really, really nice company, good earnings. Um, and he thought that he knew what his business was worth based on reading the Wall Street Journal. He thought that, uh, you know, when when they were talking about a business kind of like his a little bit, maybe maybe 10 times bigger, but, you know, um, kind of in the same industry as his, that it was selling for five to seven times EBITDA, that that was something that he could apply to his situation not realizing that we're that he was that he was reading about a business that was in a whole different sandbox. It was in that middle market sandbox that we were talking about earlier um, as opposed to the main street sandbox that he was in. So instead of that five to seven times EBITDA, um, he was looking at probably three times uh, a recasted seller discretionary earnings, which is a vastly different number, right? Okay. So the problem is, uh, he was diagnosed with stage four cancer and they were bringing in hospice and he was trying to get his affairs in order and get his wife educated as to what the business was worth because she needed to sell it after he had passed. And the gap between the actual valuation 
and what his expectations were based on that Wall Street Journal article, the, the, the chasm was heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. It was heartbreaking. And um, that's why we say, gosh, you know, that very first step, get that valuation, plan ahead, be strategic about this. This is the biggest exit, the biggest financial decision of your life. Um, and it has really big consequences. So don't don't leave it to a Wall Street Journal article. <laughs> well, and, but I think it it you're tapping into something that is not always known by business owners that and I'm going to talk about kind of from my perspective there. When I look at, you know, whether you call it Main Street or middle market, there's a threshold of usually a million dollars of EBITDA that will put you into a different selling place, right? different multiples, different buyers, um, you know, in some respects, it's going to be more complex, and more sophisticated buyers, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. And so they're really going to come in knowing how to get you to take less. But right. above that, if you're not hitting that million dollar EBITDA threshold, then you are kind of in the smaller businesses or the main street businesses. And you could get an owner operator, you know, you could get somebody that's like, Hey, I are I you're a competitor. And I I've watched you forever. Well, I want to buy you for this amount. And sometimes that amount doesn't have a framework around it. It's just like, I feel it would be worth it to me to buy your business because I can add value to it. Okay, right. but I'm not going to pay you for the value I can add to it. I'm going to pay you for the value you have added to it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that sometimes there's some confusion that that EBITDA, is that normally kind of the threshold you're seeing? Is that million dollar EBITDA or is it a different one now? Because things change. Yeah, it, it kind of fluctuates. It goes anywhere from one to three million in EBITDA. <clears throat> and it just kind of depends on uh, how hungry the private equity market gets. Mm -hmm. And how uh, how much inventory is out there? So, um, you know, last year and the year before that, we were seeing private equity coming down and making much smaller acquisitions and kind of cobbling companies together to get the size that they needed um, because there wasn't a lot of inventory in the middle market. Mm -hmm. Today, they're kind of back up where they normally would be, and they're they're absorbing companies that are uh, much bigger. You know, ten, twenty, fifty million dollar companies. Um, they're not coming down and, and uh, they don't have an appetite for that $3 million company today, but that could change in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. um, so you need to be prepared for that. But yeah, you're right. It's a whole different environment and you just can't, um, you just can't compare yourself uh, and, and assume that you're apples to apples based on an article that you read or based on a friend or a family member that sold their company for a particular multiple. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a frustrating process, but you really do have to get your expectations right at the beginning. And again, that's why we tell people to plan ahead before it becomes a necessity to sell your business. Mm -hmm. Because if that price that you hear is not the one that you want, you can help create, you know, you have a choice, you can sell now for a lower price, or you can create something different in a few years. So mm -hmm. it's always having control over the situation. But I think you also need to have a realistic view of the situation. Yeah. So I think that, you know, some people are going to say, okay, well, that seems complex. Like I know Joe down the street, he runs a similar type of business. Like I think he would buy my business. So can I just sell my business by myself? Or do I really need a business broker? I mean, I think that that's what goes through people's heads. 
Um, so tell us more about kind of why we would need a business broker to get involved. Sure. So there are some people that can sell the business themselves. Um, <clears throat> typically, those people are not super involved in the day to day operations of their company because um, and they've got sufficient time on their hands because selling your business is very time consuming. Right. So if you're going to try to do it yourself, make sure that you're not uh, tapped out and and really um, heavily in demand at your company. You need to make sure that you have a really good, strong team around you. You want to make sure that you've got a, an M&A or um, mergers and acquisitions attorney on your team, that you have a really good accountant who can talk about uh, the tax impact that the sale is going to have and make sure that you really understand what that's going to look like for you. Um, and somebody who can help negotiate and get the emotions out of the equation um, because there's, there's nothing more frustrating than to see a seller try to represent themselves and get offended by the first offer. Well, the first offer is going to be low. That's part of negotiating. <laughs> right. But you can't let yourself, uh, you can't let your emotions get in the driver's seat. So there are some people who can sell the business themselves. I would say for the most part, a business broker is going to be a very, um, a very smart move for maybe 90, 95% of people, um, not only because you know exactly what your cost structure is going to be for your sale, uh, it's typically a flat fee as opposed to an hourly rate. Um, if you're doing it yourself, you're basically giving your attorney and your accountant, your negotiator, you're giving them a blank check. Um, and to me, that's scary because I don't know what my cost of selling my business is going to be, um, as opposed to using a business broker where you know upfront that you're only going to pay uh, if you're successful with your sale and you know exactly what that price tag is going to be at the end. Um, but the business broker, they're going to take the emotion out of it for you because they're going to negotiate on your behalf. Um, they're going to find good qualified buyers. Um, in the case of a roofing company that we're working with, we just brought them three offers. They literally had their pick of three separate buyers with three different totally three three offers that were structured very differently that they got their pick and we like to be able to do that that helps preserve the purchase price um, but you're you're very likely going to have more offers you're going to have a larger footprint um, you're going to have national exposure you're going to be able to sell confidentially which is a whole lot more difficult when you're representing yourself and trying to sell it yourself um, the negotiations happen on your behalf, get the emotion out of it. Um, the, the actual contracts, the offers, the due diligence process, all of that's handled for you. <clears throat> the buyer gets assistance with um, shopping financing and things like that. Um, escrow happens uh, through your broker. The closing documents happen through your broker, typically with a flat fee by a third party attorney. Um, and the closing happens with the broker. So there are a whole lot of reasons that you would want to have a professional involved. Um, you know, I, I tell sellers, I don't know how to run your business. I've never done that before. I've never run a manufacturing company. I've never run a medical office. Um, I don't know how to do that. But you also don't know how to do what I know how to do. <laughs> so let's everybody just stay in our lanes, do what we do best, um, and let your broker take care of the sale because that's what they do and that's how they get paid. Well, and I think you brought up two really good points, which is, you know, 
regardless of how you sell your business, you're going to have to put together a team. Mm-hmm. So if you want if, if you're going to put together a team, you want a, a team of experts. So you want an expert at knowing how to sell the business. You want an expert knowing how to value the business. You want an expert at the tax ramifications. Do you, uh, Mr. Person that's selling or Mrs. Person that's selling, do you know the difference between a stock sale and an asset sale? Asset sale? Well, okay, those are things that are going to be very, those have immense implications in the deal um, you know, are, are you going to get an attorney? And, and you mentioned fixed fees or flat, you know, flat fees, you know, that's a good question to ask somebody who wants to get involved. What is your fee structure? Because some people don't operate in that space, but I'll give you one example that I think drives your point home in that the time, okay, the time and effort that it takes to market a business for sale, especially blind, so that not everybody knows that you're for sale. But then you're going to start getting questions of like, well, what happened there? What happened in 2000? This and what happened in 2000? This and you don't have the answers to this question? Well, where are your financials? You're going to get bombarded with this. And then you're going to get overwhelmed. And then you're going to get delayed because you're not going to have time to get them the information. And so I think that that's where I see business owners struggle is they want more control over the process. And you can have control over the process without being the person that is doing all of the work, right? Right. And I think another, you know, another big thing to think about, too, is a a business broker is going to think through um, all of the ramifications of an offer. So, I, you know, I mentioned that we had um, this one company that had three offers that came to the table. They were vastly different in terms of their structure. And by choosing the one that he chose, he saved about three hundred thousand dollars in taxes. Mm. Right. So that's three hundred thousand dollars of real money that are that is not going to get paid to the IRS because of the way that uh, that particular offer was structured. Mm-hmm. Now, it may or may not have been the highest price up front. Right. It may not have had um, it may not have looked the best on the surface. But when you peel away the layers of the onion and you realize that taxes matter. Right. Um, those are things that a broker is going to be thinking through with you and we're not on an hourly clock. Yeah. And and taxes really do matter. And I think that, you know, business owners get this, oh, I'm going to get a million dollars for my business. And then it's like, whoa, how much is left? You know, so I think that those calculations need to be done before you have a buyer at the table um, and you're ruining the deal, you know, because like, well, I didn't know about taxes. Well, yeah, that's a big, big part of it. But um, I think that there are also kind of some other things that business owners need to keep in mind when preparing a business for sale. And we've talked about a lot of them. But maybe we can just kind of bullet point, talk through some of the things that a business owner needs to keep in mind. Yeah. So, you know, one of the top questions I get is how long is this going to take? Right? How long is it going to take to sell my business? And, you know, gosh, I've had businesses that I thought were going to take a little while. We had them under contract in seven days. I've had businesses that I thought were going to go really quick. And a year and a half later, you know, we've gone through several rounds of buyers and it's still not sold. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you need to really be prepared for it to go quickly. 
and you need to be prepared for it to drag on for a while because we just don't know. It's a little bit like dating. It depends on who's on the mar in the market at the time, right? Right. <laughs> um, you know, the business owner needs to be prepared to keep on running the business at peak performance. Don't take your foot off the gas. You have to maintain your current level or increase your current level of revenue and earnings. That's really important. Try to, to the best of your ability, separate your emotions from the process and realize that the buyer is making an economic purchase. You're making an emotional sale with an economic component. They're making an economic purchase. And so, uh, you know, you're, you're going to be at odds with the buyer. They want to pay as little as they can and you want to get as much as you can. That's where the, ne the negotiation comes in. Um, and then, like we just said a little bit earlier, we want to make sure that we're starting to prepare for sale three to five years in advance so that if we need to make some tweaks, we've got enough time to do that and to reap the benefits of um, making those changes. Yeah, no, I think that um, there's a lot of things to keep in mind when getting ready for sale. And that's why again, talking to advisors just in general about what to expect, starting to, you know, watch videos that give you an idea because it really is a different space. Um, some of the deals that I've been involved from a valuation perspective, when I'm coming in to kind of provide market data that supports a higher EBITDA multiple, um, I'm talking to the business owner and I'm saying, listen, you're still in control, right? Even with all of these advisors, you are in control of this process. But when you want to have the difficult discussion, I am here to have that difficult discussion about value or you're here to have that difficult discussion about structure of the deal. And and the business owner, the buyer and the seller both get to remain the good guys mm -hmm. because they're going to continue to have a relationship for sometimes a year to three years after the transaction happens. And you really don't want to start in an adversarial space like you want to be working together. So get those other people involved to be the bad person, you know, the bad cop, good cop, whatever you want to call it, so that we have the difficult discussions with the buyer and you get to be the good guy or the good gal, you know, and that that is uh, a negotiation strategy. And I think that getting somebody involved that understands negotiations is very good. Most business owners think that they're really good at negotiating, but it's personal. It's like negotiating selling your child. Like that's it's too much. You know, you you got to kind of get somebody that's impartial and a little bit um separate from the situation so that you have a good perspective of it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, look, you know, it, it's going to be an emotional process. And a good business broker is going to filter and buffer what he or she hears, and they're not going to pair it back to the buyer and the seller what's been said, right? So if a buyer makes an offer that is really low and it insults the daylights out of the buyer or out of the seller, the seller is going to have an emotional reaction to that. You just don't want the buyer to feel it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, take out all that frustration and all that anger and all that indignation, <laughs> take it out on your broker. Don't take it out on the buyer. 
Right. Or get a therapist. But I mean, that's just different suggestions, right? There's always a lot of ways to deal with it. But I I think that, okay, so let's say I'm a business owner and I now understand I do need a team, right? Mm -hmm. I need a broker or I need an, an attorney or accountant or any of these things. But how does, you know, like walk me through the process though, because I don't think people understand this process always. So how does a business broker really help to sell a business? Yeah. So your broker is going to set a realistic selling price. That's one of the more important things that a broker can actually do for you is to set a realistic selling price and talk to you about what the terms and structure is likely going to be to set those expectations and make sure that that's gonna work into your retirement or your life plan. They're going to keep this transaction very confidential. We don't want anybody knowing that the business is for sale, including your employees, your extended family, your customers, your vendors. We don't want anybody knowing that it's for sale because a lot of bad things can happen. Um, and And your purchase price will take a significant hit, up to 40% when it becomes widely known that the business is for sale. So your broker is going to market you blindly and nationally. What that means is that they're going to say that there is a, uh, a, a light manufacturing company for sale in the Midwest, as opposed to talking about your specific company. They're going to have the buyers sign non-disclosure agreements. They're going to get them pre-qualified. They're going to weed out all the tire kickers that take a ton of time away from a seller running their business. Um, to make sure that they're only bringing you qualified uh, buyers that actually have the the ready, willing, and ableness to do the deal. Um, They're going to facilitate those buyer-seller conversations and meetings. They're going to write the offer and get it under contract. Your business broker is going to handle your due diligence. Most of the time that's happening in a virtual deal room these days. They're going to shop financing for the buyer. They're going to make sure that everything is on track for closing. Um, There's typically a third-party attorney involved with a flat fee that's going to prepare the closing documents. Your buyer is going to handle all of your escrow, and they're going to handle your closing. And it's at that point that you sell your company that your broker is going to get paid. Okay. And and I, but I think you bring up a good point that like the deal isn't done until all the documents are signed and everything. Cause I think people get in this process and they're like, I'm, I've sold my company. Like we got a deal and da da da. Anything can happen. And as it gets closer to that date that you are going to transfer ownership, things get even more heightened, more emotional. Mm-hmm. There could be additional rounds of negotiations very close to the closing date because yeah. they've done all their due diligence. And now they're like, well, why is this? Why Why do you have this one guy out here that makes all the business, but you don't have a contract with, you know, like anything could happen at mm-hmm. the end that you really need somebody there to take over. But talk to us more about how a business broker gets paid, you know, not more in general terms, um, maybe how some M&A advisors get paid, business brokers, what's the difference? What is somebody looking at? Sure. Yeah. So, you know, a, a business broker is they're they're going to be more of a um, uh, you're going to have specialists and generalists, just like you do in medicine. Right. <clears throat> you're going to have a generalist that can work in the main street businesses and the smaller companies. 
And they're also going to be working in the lower middle market, call it up to about $50 million. Um, and then you're going to have specialists that um, say only work in the middle market, where if you don't have a, a $10 million enterprise value, they don't want to talk to you, right? Personally, I prefer to work with the smaller companies um, just because I, I like the people a little better. <laughs> I tend to click uh, with my buyers and my sellers a little bit better on the smaller side of things up to up to call it about 50 million. Um, but on the smaller transactions, you can expect to have a higher percent of the sale going toward commission. Um, and you can expect to have a minimum with that um, because there is so much work um, that goes into selling a company. And uh, there's so much that happens behind the scenes that the seller has absolutely no idea about because we want them running their company, not involved intimately with what we're doing to try to sell it, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, there's so much that goes into that. Um, so you can expect, you know, for a, a relatively small company, um, you can expect that to be in the 10 to 12% range, you know? And you can expect it to have a minimum on it because that broker needs to know that they're going to be protected for the time and the money and the effort that they put forth on it. Um, for a larger company, you can expect that to be, you know, sometimes a, a 5% deal or a 3% deal or, you know, getting into the the, the upper side of what we do, a 2% deal. So, you know, it just kind of depends on the size and scope and scale of the company and how much... Uh, time and effort and money is going to be involved in selling it. Um, because if you think about it, the broker has just as much risk out there as you do, because if a sale doesn't happen, neither of you are going to get paid. The seller's not going to get paid and the broker's not going to get paid. Um, so, you know, the only way to know where you're going to fall in terms of the commission scale is going to be to do that valuation and find out what the going market rate is for those transactions. And here's what I mean by that. So there's two sides to every deal. There's a buy side and a sell side. Your sell side is typically your listing broker because that's the one who's initiating the transaction. But that doesn't mean that they're going to have both sides of the deal. Very often there's a buy side and a sell side, which means there are not one, but two brokers involved. Now, if, if we're dealing with a, a relatively small company, and um, there are a lot there. Let's say that there are three or four or five other companies in inventory on the market at the same time as you, and you have a substandard commission rate with your broker as a seller. Those buyer brokers are never going to bring the buyer to the table mm -hmm. because they're going to get half of a substandard rate. Mm -hmm. Right. So you want to make sure that your that your commission that you're going out with is competitive so that you're not alienating the buyer brokers that are out there and you're actually meeting all of the buyers that you should meet because your commission rate is just the same as the other companies that are uh, on the market at the time. Does that make sense? Makes sense. I, I mean, it's still, I mean, it's still comparative to selling a house, right. you know, if everybody gets paid, but it's usually paid, you know, in some respect, but there's also a, sometimes you might pay a retainer and so, or a monthly portion of that commission. Um, what is that typical that a business owner may have to pay a retainer for the months that they're actually actively selling and then pay the rest of it, maybe 
um, at the end? Or what do you see in that space? So, you know, that's where um, we kind of, uh, we kind of have to acknowledge the fact that business brokerage can be kind of a sharky industry. Um, there are people out there ready and willing to take advantage of sellers in a very vulnerable position because they know that the sellers don't know how to do what they're doing. Mm. Um, so you really have to be careful and think about the motivation behind um, what the broker is telling you their fee structure is. So if a broker tells you that they're going to do a valuation, they're going to do a tax analysis, um, they're going to um, do a full market analysis, and they're going to put together a package for you, and they're going to charge a small upfront retainer to do that, I don't have a problem with that. We'll do that on some of the bigger deals where we know that we're going to have you know, 30, 40, 50, 80 hours invested in bringing a project to market. So we may charge a small retainer for that <clears throat> to help cover our time. What you really want to avoid are the ongoing monthly fees. If a, if a broker tells you that you're going to have an ongoing monthly fee, what they're saying is that they want their paycheck protected, their interests are no longer aligned with yours, right? And their motivation to sell your company kind of goes away because they're going to get paid whether you sell or not, right? So you want to make sure that they have just as much incentive to sell your company as you do. And the only way to do that and align your interest is to make sure that you both get paid at the closing table. No, I think that's a really good point because people, you, you know, you just have to ask the right questions at the beginning. You know, if that's something that you're interested in and, you know, cause there's a lot of ways to incentivize business owners selling or, you know, taking a deal. And there's other ways to incentivize everybody trying to get to the closing table. And for certain sellers, one way may be better than the other, but you have to ask the questions up front. Like if I pay you a retainer for the next 12 months and you don't sell my business, a lot of times you will not get that retainer back because that's for the efforts that they put out during that time that they were selling their business. For other people, they may want, like you're saying is, you know, if you prosper and we get to the closing table, then I prosper. And I'm invested to get you there because I'm not making the retainer right now, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think it's a different mindset, but if you ask the right questions, then you can kind of understand. Um, one thing that you did mention it that is important in a business broker is finding the buyers. And so how do you find and then qualify a buyer, which I think is a really important piece of that? Sure. So, um, you know, a lot of it has to do with how long you've been in the game, if, if you're a broker, right? So the longer you've been in the game, we've been doing this about 10 years now. <clears throat> um, the longer you've been in the game, the more of a network that you build. So um, we have a very healthy network of buyers where we know exactly what they're looking for. We just need to go find the, the appropriate seller for them, right? <clears throat> a broker that hasn't been around for very long is not going to have a very robust network. Um, but if you think about business sales, kind of you mentioned uh, home sales earlier, uh, and, and in, in a few little ways, it's similar to buying a house. Um, if you're in the market for buying a house today, the first place you go is online. You start doing virtual tours and shopping online and seeing what kind of inventory is out there. Well, business buyers are the same way. 
So 90% or more of our buyers come from online sites. Well, that's not something that we want to ignore and rely on our own personal networks. We're going to put the listing out there blindly and nationally on all of those websites to make sure that we're blanketing any place that a buyer might possibly go to look for a company like yours. Um, so that's a really great way to do that. And most of the brokers will, um, on the sites that are getting a lot of traction for your type of business, they will pay to um, have you um, have your listing boosted and sent out and actively put in the inbox of buyers that have expressed interest in your type of company. Um, then from there, we'll have the buyer sign non-disclosure agreements. That's really important because we don't want anyone knowing that the business is for sale. That helps protect you and it's a, it's a binding contract. Um, but the financial pre-qualification is important too. We want to know how much available cash they have. If it's all tied up in their retirement account, that's okay. We need to know that so that we can use some of our partners to tap into those retirement funds on a, on a, a tax-free, penalty-free basis. Um, if it's all tied up in real estate, we need to know that too, because that's a little bit harder to liquidate. So we want to know about liquid cash. Um, <clears throat> basically, we want to know that, um, that the buyers are qualified from a financial standpoint, and also whether or not they have experience in the industry. That's extremely important to lenders today, that they understand the industry and that, that they can actually do what they set out to do from a strategic standpoint upon acquisition. So we want liquidity, we want experience. Uh, I want to see business savvy. I don't wanna to talk to a buyer uh, that's fumbling around and not really understanding what it is he's looking at, right? That's gonna be a huge red flag for me. Um, so basically I'm looking at uh, weeding out all of what I call the tire kickers, people that are not really able to do a deal so that I'm not wasting a seller's time talking to somebody who um, at the end of the day just is, is dreaming or hoping or wishing uh, that they could buy your business and they really can't do it or they're not willing to go the distance on it. Very important information because I think qualified buyers is really what everybody's looking for in the market, you know, and if you get into a situation, you know, those are uncomfortable questions to ask if you're representing yourself. If you're just saying, oh, I'm selling this business. Hey, how much money do you have? Hey, can I see your bank statement? You know, like, I mean, I don't know how to have that conversation. And so that's where we're really bringing in like some expertise in, in order to have that conversation so you don't alienate a potential buyer as well. Like, oh, I have, I have, I'm plenty of money to buy this business. You know, like it gets to be an awkward conversation. Um yeah. And I think that we've covered this sufficiently, but I think that let's just, you know, sometimes it's good to just reiterate, you know, what does it cost to get a business broker involved in a deal? And you had kind of said somewhere on big deals, it could be as low as 2% of the sale price, right. or it could be as high as 10 to 12% of the sale price. But that requires a conversation with the person that's going to help you sell the company, right? Like you can't, there is no magic number that we can put out there. It really is on, on each 
individual basis how that business broker works, right? That's exactly right. So tell so, us a little bit about yours, but also about the concept of working as the buyer and seller's representative. I think sure. that that's an interesting concept. Yeah. So the cost, um, you know, the cost, it, it needs to be reasonable, right? Uh, you can't expect a business broker to take too big of a chunk of the deal. At the end of the day, the seller has to pay off any debt. They have to pay their business broker and they've got to pay taxes, right? And there has to be a sufficient motivation left at, by the time you subtract those three things to sell the company, right? So, um, you know, a business broker is, is going to charge the market rate for the type and, and size of company that he or she is selling. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, that's important to know that, that um, until that valuation is done, until they really understand the company, they just can't set the commission rate uh, for that. But it, yeah, it, for, for a bigger company, it's going to be maybe two, three, 5% for a smaller company, it's going to be maybe 10 or 12%. Um, you may or may not have a small retainer up front, depending on how much work is going to go into the, into the packaging. And at the beginning, you said something that I thought was very important is that you're doing kind of a tax analysis at the beginning. So mm -hmm. you're saying, here's what we could sell you for. Okay, let's say you sell for this price, and you pay off your debt, and you pay my fee and you pay taxes, what do you have left? And mm -hmm. so you're having all that discussion at the very beginning, right? That's, that's right, because it's not what you sell for, it's what you walk away with, mm -hmm. right? And you know, there, there are some strategies that we can put into place that if a buyer is, or if a seller is particularly sensitive to the tax ramifications, um, there, there are strategies that we can put in place that are gonna minimize that tax impact and keep you in a lower tax bracket. Um, <clears throat> but those are all conversations that we need to have up front so that we set those expectations because the last thing I want to do is to go through all the work, get to the offer, uh, run the numbers and realize that we're, you know, that we have a great buyer on the line and the seller is not willing to sell for what they can get out of it. Mm -hmm. We need to set those expectations up front for sure. Well, and I think that then going into it, they're not kind of mystified by this huge number. They're really saying, okay, all of these things need to go into play uh, before that happens, uh, before you go down a deal, because that really now, I will say there have been, you know, there has at least been an occasion that I have sent a business owner to you to say, you know what, can we sell the business? Can we not sell the business? Do we have enough revenue? Do we have enough income? And, and your answer to that was at the time for that particular business, it wasn't the right time. It wasn't the, um, they weren't going to get the money that they thought they would, that they really needed to work on a few things. And so I think that that's very important Mm -hmm. to know that there are times when this isn't the right time. And you're more than willing to tell people that up front, that if you expect to get a million, and I maybe could eke out 200,000, this isn't the right time. Now, a business owner could say, well, it's better than nothing, right? Mm -hmm. But that better than nothing attitude probably still isn't the right framework um, to go and sell your company. You know, if you're 
because you you do need to during this process for six to 12 months, potentially, you need to run it full throttle, mm-hmm. full steam ahead, get the sell those clients, get that money. You know, I start telling people to kind of get their receivable, start collecting your receivables Mm -hmm. now, because that's going to be on you later, you know, keep everything current. But um, any other additional kind of pieces of information that could be helpful to a business owner that you think you could provide? So you don't want a business broker that's going to tickle your ears. You know, if if you sense at all that a business broker is trying to hit your magic number, <laughs> maybe they're trying a little too hard, um, or that you think they're trying to tickle your ears a little bit um, so that you're just absolutely delighted with what they say that that your company is worth, that needs to be a bit of a red flag for you. Um, you want to have somebody that you really trust that can back up their number with hard data and comparables and somebody that is very accurate, you know, we're, we're plus or minus 3%. When we value a company and we sell it and we look at the valuation versus the sale price, we're accurate plus or minus 3%. Okay. So I tell my sellers, you may not like what I tell you, but it's accurate, <laughs> right? The other thing that you want to really keep in mind is this concept, and, and you alluded to it in your question, Melissa, <clears throat> is the concept of a transaction broker. That's different than being a dual broker in a real estate setting where a dual broker represents the buyer and the seller. Hmm. A transaction broker doesn't actually represent the buyer or the seller. They represent the deal itself. Okay. Right. Which means that um, basically I, I can sleep at night because I'm a transaction broker. I'm not in an adversarial position with the buyer or the seller. If they both want to do a good deal, it's my job to get it to the closing table and get it over the finish line, right? If they don't want to both do a good deal, then we don't do it. Mm-hmm. Right? The seller is very much in the driver's seat on this. If they decide they don't want to sell, we don't sell. Mm-hmm. We can find another buyer, right? And the and the buyer feels comfortable with a transaction broker because they know that that transaction broker has to be open and honest and transparent with them about the good, bad, and the ugly about the company. Mm-hmm. So um, you want to make sure that that your, that your business broker isn't tickling your ears, that they are uh, setting things at a market rate that sounds reasonable to you, that they can back it up. And you want to make sure that they're a transaction broker so that you don't have an adversarial relationship with the buy side or the sell side. I think that's all really helpful information. And if they still have questions or if they really, because when you go to sell your business, it really is a process of doing it right the first time. You know, you can bungle it and you can mess it up. And that really does mess it up in the future as well, because they're going to know you already tried to do this. If your competitors find out, they're going to be like, oh, you already tried to sell your company two years ago and that didn't work. You know, so you really want to try to get the right team, the right people involved at the beginning and have a, a good picture of what to expect. And I think that, you know, if they have more questions, we're going to provide all of your contact information. Mm-hmm. And really, they need to reach out and talk about their specific situation. Because mm-hmm. as much as we can provide advice or information, 
it really is a case by case situation that you could have a situation that is just different than everybody else. You know, in the case of your um, business owner that had a health complication, you know, you want to plan ahead so that you're not in a bind if there's a health complication, because sometimes that is to a buyer, you know, like, oh, well, I'll get a deal because I can do whatever I want because they have to sell. You don't want to be, you You need to have in negotiation some leverage. And that leverage is that you're choosing to sell, not that you have to sell. And that's sometimes exactly. that's a lot of the difference. That's exactly right. Yeah. And we work across the industry. We work in all four time zones every day. Um, and we would yeah, never tell us, tell us more about our conversation. Can you so. tell us more just in general um, about you and your company? I think that's a good way to, to finish the podcast. <laughs> yeah, sure. No problem. Um, yeah, so we've been doing this for about 10 years. Um, and uh, we've sold businesses in every industry imaginable. We have really strong verticals in training companies and in sign companies. Um, but, but, you know, service-based business, product-based businesses, um, like I said, we're in all four time zones every day. So we typically start early for East Coast clients and we finish late for our West Coast clients. Um, but we've been doing this a really long time. Um, we have all the board certifications, all the credentials and and uh, and uh, all the things that you would expect. Um, and we have a fantastic network of professionals like Melissa um, that we network with and and uh, and refer to and collaborate with on deals. So, um, the bottom line is, you know, it doesn't cost us anything. Just pick up the phone um, or shoot us an email. Let us know what your situation is and let's have a conversation. And um, my promise to you is I'll be very honest with you and, and tell you what I really think uh, your chances are and what I think that uh, process is going to look like. Yeah. And I think that that's the best way to go about it. Just eyes wide open. You know, what, is, what do you expect for your business? And uh, so reach out to Jennifer. The contact information will be at the bottom. And we really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Great. Thanks, Melissa. Take care. All right.